So what we're looking at today is 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the entire New Testament on Sunday mornings. And so what we're going to see today in 1 Thessalonians 3, turn to your Bibles there, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to see Paul's perspective and principles for joy. Paul's going to give us some handles of truth we could grab onto this morning that will help us be people of joy. And you know, Paul was a man of joy. He said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord sometimes. Is that what he said? Correct, Pastor John. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say what? Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul also said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, a result of the Spirit working in our lives, Galatians 5, 22, is love, second fruit of the Spirit working in our life is what? Joy. 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 Let me say that again. Joy. Paul is, is a man of joy and wants us to be people of joy. And he said to give us some principles this morning that will help us to have more joy in our lives. You know, Jesus is a man of joy too. Jesus said in, in the Gospel of John, he put it this way, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Now Jesus knew grief, he knew sorrow. He's a man acquainted with grief and sorrow because of what he's going to face on the cross, but he's also a man of joy. And he wants us to be, as his followers, people of joy. And so we're going to learn some things from Paul this morning on how we can have more joy. You know, we're also told by God in the scripture, Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's strength in living in joy. We're told in, in, in God's presence is joy. Psalm 16.11 says, in his presence is fullness of what? Joy. So I want to impart to you from the Word of God this morning some principles just from the example of Paul. How can we get more joy? How can we be people that live this command out to rejoice in the Lord always? Again, I say rejoice. So let's jump right in. First Thessalonians chapter 1 or chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll see what Paul has to say about joy. Now, the, the center of this scripture, right in the middle of it, Paul talks about joy. Verse 9, he says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account. So right in the centerpiece of the scripture, he's talking about joy, but now he's going to go back, rewind, on his ministry to the Thessalonians, verse 1, and he says, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it would be best to be left behind in Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we've been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, with you we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. Now, here's what Paul's doing. He's recollecting his ministry with the Thessalonians. And he's going all the way back, and he's saying, first of all, that when we were with you, we, we, we told you about afflictions. We told you about these things that are destined are t- to happen. And it's interesting. What Paul's talking about now is he's going all the way back, and his ministry started with the Thessalonians uh, in Acts, the book of Acts, second missionary journey. First of all, Paul was called to Macedonia, which is Greece, present-day Greece, uh, by the Macedonian call from this vision he got. He gets over to Macedonia. He starts a church in Philippi. And as he was in Philippi, uh, he delivered this fortune-telling slave girl from a demon and the masters that were making money off of her fortune teller went ballistic, started a riot basically, got them falsely accused, thrown in prison, beaten with rods, put in stocks in prison. And it was about midnight. 
Paul and Silas were singing hymns of praise to God, and God miraculously delivered them through an earthquake, broke the chains. And uh, he led the whole uh, Philippian jailer and his family to Christ through this miracle. But then after that, Paul left Philippi, and he came to this people here in Thessalonica. And he preached the gospel to them for three Sundays, three, oh no, three Sabbaths, excuse me, three Saturdays he preached the gospel in the synagogue. And each Saturday he led people to Christ. And a great church was started there, but after three Sabbath days he had to quit because he got ran out of town there because of the religious leaders being upset with people coming to Christ. And so it's interesting, he went from there to Berea, and in Berea the, the people that came to Christ were noble-minded because they searched the scriptures themselves to see if what Paul was saying was true. And then after that he went to Athens. But when he got to Athens, according to the scripture, he was concerned about this church that he started in just four weeks and had to leave. So he sent Timothy back to minister to the believers there in Thessalonica. And then he got a good report. Timothy came back to him, met, met Paul in Corinth, and then he wrote 1 Thessalonians back as a response to the positive report he got about the Christians in Thessalonica. So that's kind of what he's talking about here. But in this scripture we just read, Paul said, when we were with you, when we ministered to you, Thessalonians, we told you that you're going to suffer affliction. We told you that we're destined for this, that a part of living in this world was going to be disturbances and, and, and afflictions as Christians. And that's right in line with what Jesus said. He said in John 16, in this world you will have tribulation or trouble, but take heart because I've overcome the world. A part of our destiny as Christians in a cursed, fallen world is just going to be some hard times. And part of our Christianity is we'll face affliction because of the stances we take for Christ in a cursed world. 2 Timothy 3.12 tells us, all who live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Persecuted. It's part of being light and darkness. And Paul says we're destined for this. Some of the stuff that we're facing, affliction, persecution, is living in a world that's dark and has persecution and affliction to people that are light. Interesting. Paul's perspective on this, though, is this. He says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4.17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Then he said in Romans 8.18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed. And then he said in Romans, beautiful, five, three to five, says, and not only this, we exalt or we rejoice in our tribulations, knowing tribulation brings about perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given us. Do you see Paul's perspective on trials there? In church, if you want to live in joy, you've got to have the proper perspective on trials. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He said, a part of living in this world is having a perspective that when trials come, they're there. Because God's destined us for these trials to make us more like Christ in the midst of the trials that we face. You know what? The Bible says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let that testing, that testing, have its perfect results so that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking in nothing. And here's a word for you this morning. God's more concerned about your character than your comfort. God's love is more of a perfecting, sanctifying love than a pampering love. 
And sometimes the trials come, church. Sometimes the trials come because he's using it as sandpaper to get the rough edges off our character in our lives. Think about it. Think about the times that you've grown the most spiritually. Think about what brought you to Christ in the first place. If I had a testimony time right now and brought people up here on the stage and said, what brought you to Christ? Was it prosperity? Was it blessing? Was it easy times? Or was it adversity and trials in tough times? I got saved when I was 17, and it was one of the toughest times of my life because of this stuff that was going on in my family. It was dysfunctional, and it, 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 I was in a dark spot. But that broke me and brought me back to Christ. You know what else was interesting when I went to college? I went to college on a scholarship to do gymnastics at the University of Illinois. In my freshman year, right at the beginning of the year, right at the beginning of the season, I tore my shoulder. I had a red shirt my whole sophomore year. It was a tough time for me. My dreams were being crushed. But you know what? That's when I got the call to be in the ministry. And I heard God's voice and God's calling during that time of trial and affliction. God's... God is more concerned about our character and Christ-likeness than our comfort. Think about that and have the proper perspective when those trials hit. And if you do, you're not going to get sucker punched. You know what sucker punched is? You don't see it coming. It's boom because you got the wrong perspective. And don't see that trials are there often for a purpose and a plan. And God causes all things, even our trials, to work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purposes. Amen? I heard it, amen. Amen. Amen on that. And you know what? That's so important we have that. And we'll be honest with you, that's one of the reasons why I got issues with all these preachers out there, especially televangelists that are preaching prosperity theology. And what is that? That's the idea that if you just have enough faith, you'll always be healthy, wealthy, and wise. You just, if you have enough faith, you'll have no problems in life. Is that true? And that's what Jesus said. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. And here's what happens. When you're taught that, and that's propagated, and you listen to that, and you take that as your theology, you know what's going to happen when hard times come? And you, you get sucker punched. One of our ushers, one of our head ushers, remember when he first started coming to our church, he shared with me that his brother and him were a part of this church that was a prosperity theology church. And he said then his brother had, his wife got pregnant and, his, and he was praying up this, for this pregnancy and everything else and then the baby died and they lost the baby. You know what the prosperity theology that was planted in his life did? He was sucker punched to the point that he walked away from the church, he walked away from Christ and to this day he doesn't walk with Jesus because he had the wrong theology. Theology was, hey, as long as I have faith, nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. That's being sucker punched. We've got to have the right, proper perspective on trials if we're going to maintain joy when those trials hit. And we can. Paul, again, wrote that scripture, Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice when he was in a Roman jail cell, chained to guards, waiting a possible execution, and he was able to have joy because he had the proper perspective that these trials were there for a plan and a purpose, and God was going to cause all things, even those trials, to work together for the good. So first principle for joy, keep your perspective right. Keep your perspective on trials right, and that is God's got a plan and a purpose in the trials. And as we were saying this morning, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And he'll work out even those trials for good and for character formation and change in our lives. Amen? All right, let's go on now. Verse 5. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also uh, sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. 
But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news, who came back with Paul to Paul and said there's good news of their faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you, Thessalonians, stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy, there it is, the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now, notice, Paul's perspective on trials, purpose and plan of trials. God's gonna work together for the good. He were destined for this and God's gonna, God's gonna make us more like Christ. Proven character and hope perseverance, be in our lives because of the trials. But now, notice Paul's perspective. What's, in the, even in the affliction he's facing, what is his, what's he centered on? What's his focus? Is it himself? Is it the, the afflictions he's going through? What's his focus? His focus is on the Thessalonians and on the people he ministered to. And he's saying, I'm praying night and day for you Thessalonians. And, and we live now because you're standing firm in faith and love. His whole focus and perspective is others, not himself. And that's the second principle. If you want to have joy, you've got to be other-centered, not self-centered. Jesus said this, you want to follow me, take up your cross daily and deny yourself. What was the cross? It was sacrifice. And if you have the right perspective on trials, that will help you with joy. But also, if you get your eyes off yourself, and you're other-centered and Christ-centered instead of self-centered. And you know what? That's not easy because we're brainwashed in this culture. This culture is all about self. It's all about me. We could, there's even magazines, Me Magazine. Why would you ever want to read that? Just to make you more self-centered. Me, me, me. There's even a country song. It's all about me. Remember that? Me. That, that song was a top-selling song because it characterizes our culture. Our culture is narcissistic. It's all about me, 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 me. Disciples of Christ, we need to be not conformed to this world, but different, transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need to be people that are Christ and other centered. Because again, that acrostic for joy works. J-O-Y, you put Jesus first, others second, yourself less, and you'll have more joy. Joy comes from living a life where you lose your life in Christ and others. And Jesus said that. You want to find your life? You better lose it. And you lose it by getting the focus off yourself, get on other people. I'm a Tim Tebow fan. Always have been, always will. Just like the guy. I like, I like the way that, man, he would just do whatever it took to win those national championships when he was at Florida. That guy, he, I like the fact that he doesn't look like a quarterback. He looks like a linebacker. He just run over people. Tim Tebow's great. But I love Tim Tebow most of all because he loves Jesus. That guy loves Christ. An amazing guy. And I was thinking about him this week because I just read a book by him just recently. It's called This Is the Day. And it's about joy, about living a life of joy. It's, 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 he named the book after the fact that when he was a kid, his mom would wake him up in, this morning, in the morning singing this. This is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, let us rejoice. Aren't you glad I'm singing to you this morning? 
You're saying, John, stop. <laughs> That's torture. Listen to Pastor John singing. I don't have any musical ability whatsoever. I get it. But that's what she would sing to them, her, the kids, the Tebow kids, when they'd wake up in the morning. And, he, and he, the whole book, the whole premise of the book is one of the reasons why he has joy as a Christian is because his mom taught him. His parents were missionaries, and his parents taught him, and his mom taught him to put others first. And Tim Tebow has lived that out. Do you know that? I read in this book and I read in some other articles this week about Tim Tebow too that, that his favorite night of the year is a night that he's put together for special needs kids. It's called the, a, a Night to Shine. And what he does is he has a prom night time. He, he has a prom night for special need kids around the world. And what they do is they, they bring these, these, and he has 600, this last year, they had 600 churches involved with this thing in 20 different countries 200,000 volunteers and 100,000 special need kids were treated as kings and queens at these special nights to shine. This is a picture of him with a couple of these uh, people that came. There's another queen right there on the night to shine. And uh, that's, that's him and his wife, or future wife, who's a former Miss Universe, but he met her at a night to shine. She was one of the volunteers that came to help at a night to shine. And now they're going to get married. But, but I was thinking about that this week with the second point, that if you, want, if you want to have more joy, you've got to be other-centered instead of self-centered. And I thought of him. Because here he is, NFL football player. And I was thinking about Tim Tebow, too. And I was thinking about, you know, he really got ran out of the NFL, par- partly because of his strong stance for Christ. I mean, the guy, he, he brought the... Broncos to the playoffs, second round of the playoffs, and then the next year he lost his job because they brought in Peyton Manning and kicked him out. I mean, that was his dream. That was a crushing of dreams for him. And then no NFL team really took him on after that. And I I was thinking, man, he could have lost his joy with that. But you know how he maintained his joy? By doing stuff like that and being a person that was other-centered instead of self-centered. And we need more Christians like that, amen? We need to be Christians that are not adapting to the narcissism and the self-centeredness of this world. We stand out because Jesus said in Acts chapter 20, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And that's what Paul is trying to get at here as his example. It's when we were with you guys and we were praying for you night and day, our focus is you and not me. And that'll bring more joy. And we need to be that way because we're in a culture that's just the opposite. Everybody else is just about me and self and self-promotion. And we need to be Christians that are taking up our cross, denying ourselves daily, and helping people. I was reading another book, and it was a book by Ray Bentley, one of our Calvary Chapel pastors. And it was talking about the fact that when we get in this mode of being other-centered and helping people, the Bible says you reap what you sow. And what goes around, the Bible doesn't say this, but what goes around <laughs> comes around. And it's a true story, I guess. It was by Ray Bentley in his book uh, that talked about having excellent thoughts. And he was talking about how this, this, uh, this uh, construction worker in New York City was coming home after a long day of blood, not blood, but sweat and everything else and hard day of construction. He was driving his pickup truck home on one of the busy freeways in New York City. And as he was driving home, and I guess the guy was a believer, he saw this limousine on the side of the road and had a flat tire. 
And so he said, oh, I, Lord, I don't want to stop here. It's been a long day. I've been working all day. And everything. the Lord told him to pull over. He pulled over and went right behind the limousine and, and knocked the window of the chauffeur and said, I, I could help you with this. And so he said, open up the trunk. Open up the trunk. Went back there. He changed the tire for the limo driver and the person that was in the limousine. And then after he was changing the tire, the chauffeur came out and said, hey, my, uh, my guy back here wants your phone number because he just wants to thank you for changing his tire. The limousine took off, and as he came home, he got to the door of his house, and his wife was there crying. But there weren't tears of sorrow, they tears of joy. And she said, sweetheart, just got a call from the guy that you changed the tire for on the side of the freeway. His name is Donald Trump. And he just paid off her mortgage. True story. Paid off the mortgage on their house in New York. What goes around, comes around. You're going to reap what you sow. Now, we don't help people. We don't give and we don't bless people because we want to get our mortgages paid off, right? But we do it because Christ says, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. He says it's more blessed to give than receive. And if you come to Christ, what you need to do is you need to get out of this camp over here of selfishness and self-centeredness and narcissism, and you need to move to a new camp over here. And the new camp is being a giver, being a person that's about helping other people, being a person that's not focused on self, but on Jesus and other people, because you put Jesus first, others second, yourself last, you have more joy. And then let's go on. Let's keep going now. Verse 11, it says, Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound. The word increase means there to superabound. And uh, increase could also be translated to increase in abundance. And then also it says, and you're to abound. The word there, abound, means to overflow, to exceed, and to excel in. So we're to, we're to superbound, we're increasing in abundance, we're to overflow, we're to excel in what? Love for one another and for all people, just as we also do for you. Now this is actually Paul's prayer for the Thessalonians and through Scripture, his prayer for us, that we're Christians, that not only are givers and get our focus off ourselves, but we're Christians that are abounding, superabounding and even overflowing with love. Because again, the fruit of the Spirit of God's Spirit working in our lives is first and foremost love. Love. And 1 Corinthians 13 says you could have all the knowledge, you could have all the faith, you could have all the words about Christ you want to have, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. Actually, it says if you have all this knowledge and faith and everything else and talk about Christ, but you don't have love, it says you're a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. In other words, you're just going to give people headaches. And there's way too many Christians out there that are a lot of talk, even a lot of knowledge, but they don't have love. And Christ said, by this, all men will know you are my disciples. By your love for one another. And he said this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, you also must love one another. And there's too many mean Christians out there. You talk about an oxymoron, those words should never go together. Mean 
Christian? No, that's a better way to describe it. That's just being a moron. You're not an oxymoron. You're just a moron. If you're, if you're touting the name of Christ and you're being angry and bitter and nasty to people, may that never be named among us as Calvary Chapel Christians. May we be abounding, super abounding, and overflowing with God's love. Let's not just talk the talk of being a Christ follower. Let's be people that are abounding in his love for other people because this is the certifiable litmus test for whether we're really disciples of Christ. By this, all men will know you're my disciples by your love, your love for one another. You know, our, our founder of U-Turn, a good friend of mine, Jerry Brown, he's an interesting guy. He's, he's one of those guys, you talk about joy, he, he's got it. Whenever you're around Jerry Brown, Jerry Brown you're going to do, do one or two things. You're either going to be eating or you're going to be laughing. Because <laughs> the guy loves to eat, the guy loves to laugh, he's just full of joy. But one of the reasons why Jerry Brown, I believe, is full of joy is because of the way that God snatched him and rescued him out of the pit of drug addiction. He was a meth dealer, he was a meth addict, and God just rescued him and saved him. And now he's going around the world starting U-Turns for Christ and ministering on the mission field because he just wants to bring that same love and same joy to the whole world as much best as he can and set people free too through starting U-Turns for Christ all over the world. There's 17 U-Turns for Christ in the United States. There's a bunch of them overseas. There's, there's uh, uh, one in Mexico. There's one in Africa now. They're all over the place. And, and right now, as we speak, as we're talking right now, this is what Jerry Brown's doing. He's in Africa, in Nairobi or something, and he's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ over there, and he's giving out free Bibles, and he's blessing people with love and with joy. Those are free Bibles he's given out in Africa just in this last week. But he's a great example to me of someone who's just full of joy. One of his favorite sayings when he was around was, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. He's always smiling and saying, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And he's got this joy about him. But you know why that joy is there? It's because he's helping people and he's loving people. And I tell you what, we are created to do this. Jesus said the greatest commandment for us as Christians, Matthew 22, 34 to 40, our greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. This is the first and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor but as yourself. And if you want to fulfill the reason for your existence as a Christian, love God and love people. I think we got that on a sign over here, don't we? Because it's our greatest commandment. Love God, love people. We'll have more joy because we're fulfilling the purpose for our creation. And that's to love God and love people. It'll bring joy as you fulfill the reason for your creation and why you're here. And let's close up our chapter now. Back to 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3. And then it says, And so that he may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father. Notice, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Notice how every chapter in Thessalonians ends with a reference to the return of Christ. But before he references the return, the coming of the Lord Jesus, he gives us our last point that we're supposed to be doing. And that is we're supposed to be holy and blameless. Holy. Holy. I got a saying around here, you've heard it before. Holiness leads to happiness. And if you want to be happy, you need to be pursuing holiness. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. He said, seek first 
his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all things will be added unto you. We're supposed to be holy as followers of Christ and imitators of God because God is holy. What are the angels around the throne of God singing in praise to God in heaven? Holy, holy, holy. Don't just say it once. Three times they reiterate that God is holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Yeah, God is love. His chief characteristic, I think, is love, but also his very core of who God is is he's holy. And what does it mean to be holy? It means to be different. It means to be set apart from the immorality and the worldliness and the garbage of this world. It's to be holy. And you know what? You want joy? You've got to be holy. There's a lie out there from the pit of hell that Satan propagates and that God is some kind of cosmic party pooper. That he just wants to rain in our parade, he wants to restrict us and take the fun out of life. That's lie. Satan is the father of all lies and that's one of his chief lies because it's just the opposite. God wants us to be happy. God wants us to have joy. But he knows in his presence is fullness of joy. And if you want to be in his presence, you need to be living for him and living not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That's one of the Beatitudes. And as we live a holy life, we not only have the ability to see and have intimacy with our God, but also, again, we're fulfilling the purpose for our existence. We were created by him in his image. And as we get back to living in his image, there's happiness. There's joy in that. Because we're firing on all eight cylinders and we're living the way we're supposed to be living. Holiness leads to happiness. You know, it's so important to have, have that in our lives, that we have this attitude that I don't care the, what the rest of the world's going to do. I'm going to seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And I'll tell you what, the best times of my life in the last... 30-some years as I've walked with the Lord, the best times of my life are times where I'm getting it right and I'm going for it and I'm seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness and there's a happiness and joy in that. And the worst times of my life, especially as a Christian, is when I backslide and I get back to the bad things and the things I used to do before Christ and I start getting pulled back in the world and then the conviction of the Spirit's there and I got too much of the world to enjoy Jesus and too much of Jesus to enjoy the world. Make a choice. What did Jesus say in, in uh, Revelation? He said, hey, uh, if you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. Either be hot or cold. Get off the fence. When I got saved, I got involved with a bunch of Christians in our high school. Our high school had a revival. It was amazing. We had about 100 on-fire Christians that all got saved around the same time. We all got involved with this group called Young Life. It's amazing. And I remember getting involved with these Christians because I'd never been around people like this before. I grew up in Chicago, and I had a lot of worldly friends, and I did a lot of, up until 17 years old, I did a lot of worldly stuff. I was involved with the drinking, the partying, the immorality, the talking like a sailor. I, mean, I, I was there, lost, lost. I came to Christ. I got involved with all these Christians that were holy. I call them straight arrows because they were. They didn't talk like me. They didn't use four-letter words every sentence. They didn't get drunk on the weekends. They went to church on the weekends. I mean, these guys were on fire to the point that they even spent Monday night in Bible study campaigners, Tuesday night at club, which is more of a celebration time, and they were, they were on it. And then I got involved with them. And these guys, straight arrows, like, these people are living totally different. But you know what I found out about these Christians too? They were fun. They laughed a lot. They had joy that I just didn't have. 
And, what, and I came to this conclusion after interaction in my living for Christ, not too. They had fun and they had joy because they could have fun and they could have joy without getting drunk, without being immoral, without doing bad things. Their joy was in Jesus and not of all the stuff of the world. And then I became a straight arrow. I started cleaning up my life. Started talking different. Started walking different. I wasn't perfect, still made mistakes, but I was pursuing holiness. I realized the more I pursued obedience, the more not only was blessing there, but the more joy was there too. And it works. Holiness leads to happiness, to joy. And Jesus promised that. Again, if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all this other stuff, including joy, will be added onto us. Amen? Interesting, though, in this last verse, coupled with holiness and be holy in regards to blameless and holy, he talks about the return of Christ. And go back to our verse, the last verse 13. He says, without blame, establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father. Notice, at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Why should we be holy? Because Christ is coming back. Soon and very soon, church, Christians, we're going to see our king. Next week, we're going to look in detail at the most detailed passage in the Bible on the rapture. Don't miss next week. We're going to break it down. We're going to see that soon and very soon, we're going to have harpazo. It's in the Greek. That means we're going to be snatched up to be caught up in the clouds with Christ. And we're going to see him as he is. And then we too will be like him. It's going to be amazing. Soon and very soon, we're going to be snatched out of here. And we're going to see Christ face to face. And with that in mind, how should we be living, man? Holy. For Christ, because we're going to see Christ soon. I was reading in Daniel this week, Daniel chapter 9, it talks about the fact that at the end of the age, he's told, Daniel was exhorted to, to uh, seal up the book, the prophecy, had, but at the end of the age, the book was going to be open, basically, and what's going to happen, according to Daniel, throw up that verse from Daniel for us, Noah. It says this, but as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time, and then many will go back and forth, and knowledge will increase. You know what that's saying? Is when the end of time comes, when it's close to the return of Christ, people are going to be going back and forth like never before, and knowledge is going to increase. The word increase there is multiplied. Think about this. Hundred some years ago, the main form of transportation was horses. What do we have going back and forth now? Jets. You can get to Europe in just, you know, eight or nine hours. Just jump, jump on a jet. Amazing. What about knowledge? Knowledge increasing? Wow. <laughs> Look at your stinking phone, man. We, got, we, got, we, don't, we don't just have phones. We got smartphones. And, you know, when, when I was a kid, when you had to do, you have all research, you had to do the term papers and everything else, we had a thing called, I'm dating myself here, we had Encyclopedias Britannicas. Do you remember those? You, you, know, you know where all those Encyclopedia Britannicas are ended up now? In our thrift store, because nobody needs them anymore. You just Google it, right? Because we're at the coming to the end of the age. Knowledge is multiplying like never. We have a knowledge overwhelming just of knowledge today because we're getting close to the end of the age. And with that idea that we're getting close, church, church, how should we live? Well, go back to what we learned this morning. First of all, we need to live with the perspective that these trials are only temporary. Hmm. God's using them 
for his purposes and his plans, proper perspective when the trials hit, these momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory. Have a proper perspective on trials. It'll help you have more joy. You won't be sucker punched. Number two we learned today, very important. I got an amen right there. Did you hear that? Very important. Be other-centered instead of self-centered. Take up your cross, deny yourself, get your eyes off yourself. It'll help you have more joy because if your focus is me, me, and narcissism and self-centeredness, you'll never have joy. Get your eyes off yourself. Joy comes from putting Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Number three, increase and abound in what? Love. Be people that are known for love because you're increasing your abounding and your love for other people. Remember, it's more blessed to give than to receive our greatest commandment, love God and love people. And as you fulfill that, you will have more joy because you're getting your eyes off yourself and you're helping people, you're blessing people, you're loving people, you're fulfilling the purpose for your existence to love God and love other people. Last thing, very important, be holy. Don't buy into the lie that you gotta be worldly to have happiness because you don't. Just the opposite. Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect for your life, and you'll have more joy because you're firing on all eight cylinders and you're living the way you're supposed to live, and that's in the image of God. Amen? Don't miss next week. We're going to look at the rapture. Great scripture on the rapture next week. We're going to see the trumpet blowing next week, and we're going to see what's going to happen at the end of the age when the time comes for Christ to get us out of here. And soon and very soon, we're going to see this fulfillment of this scripture next week, I believe, because we're, as Daniel says, we're living in these last, last times. We have signs that the times are in place. And we'll look some more in detail on that next week also. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your word. Thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, God. I thank you that your word equips us in righteousness, Lord. It helps us to live the way that we were created to live. And so, Father, would you help us to be people that are not just hearers of these truths this morning, but we're doers. Help us to be people that are receiving the correction we need, the instruction we need, even the reproof or rebuke we need to get back on track, to be people that are living above the craziness, the immorality, the self-centeredness of this world. Help us to be people, too, that realize that no matter what we face in life, you're causing it to work together for the good if we love you and are called according to your purpose. Help us to have the proper perspective, Lord, when hard times come, that you got us. You're holding us in the hollow of your hand, and you're going to even bring good out of the bad that we're facing with any kinds of affliction, Lord. And I pray for you to be the shepherd with those people that are here today, that are in the midst of a trial. Give them a new sense of peace, and a new sense of joy because you got it, Lord. You're going to be with them, and you're going to walk through this trial with them, even through the valley, Lord. Father, I, I pray, too, for this fact of being other-centered instead of self-centered. Would you forgive us, Lord, for our self-centeredness? Would you forgive us for our focusing on ourselves rather than other people, Lord, and rather than on Jesus? Help us to get back to just being Jesus and other-centered instead of self-centered, Lord. Help us to be people that just want to help people and be a blessing because it's more blessed to give than it is to receive, Father. Help us to be people that are just increasing and abounding in love too, Lord. May we be known for our love for one another, Lord. May people see the fruit of the Spirit of love in our marriages, in our parenting, in our interaction with people in the world, with, at workplaces, 
May we be abounding and increasing and overflowing with your love, God. And Lord, lastly, help us to be people that are continuing to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, Lord. Help us to be people that are pursuing holiness because, God, you're a holy God. And Father, forgive us for those times that we go back to things we shouldn't go back to. Help us to repent of that, Lord. Help us to get back to just going for it in regards to living for you, God, and living for Christ. Thank you for another time in your word, Lord. Thank you that your word doesn't return empty. It accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent, and that is to equip us in righteousness, Lord. Help us again this week to be doers of what we're learning here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.